Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 is where we're going to begin in just a moment, and it's where we will begin January installment of Q&A. We're going to read one verse in 2 Corinthians 5 in just a moment that really will need to serve as the guiding uh, light, the guiding principle for all the things that we're going to talk about uh, for the next few minutes this evening. So let's be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, it is great to see everybody this evening. It's just been a, a wonderful day for just a number of different reasons. Had just a, uh, an excellent hour of worship this morning, and that was followed by just an exceptional service at the nursing home this afternoon. If you have not ever availed yourself of the opportunity to be at those monthly nursing home visits, you are missing out. Man, the singing today was just, it was skinning, and I'm telling you what, it was something else. Uh, and then just the beautiful sunshine that we've enjoyed today and then getting the chance to come back again tonight and to sing these good songs and to go to our Father in prayer and to get to open the Word once more. That just makes it all around just a, a really good day in my books and I'm glad that I've got to spend part of it with you. If I could do just a quick commercial for uh, our winter meeting this weekend, I do hope that you have plans already uh, to be here on Friday night at 7 o'clock and then again at Saturday night at 6 o'clock. Then, of course, at our regular assembly times, on Sunday, I am privileged this year that I get to share the pulpit with uh, the four other good brothers from our own ranks here and to get to uh, talk about a theme that I'm convinced, and I think the other fellows are convinced, will be very thought-provoking, and will be faith-building, and will be applicable to all of us just on a very personal and practical sort of level. Uh, I'm not going to divulge too much about this uh, attention-grabbing and arresting title that's been chosen uh, for the weekend, The Christian Atheist. I'm going to let Josh Harris kind of give the introduction to that on Friday night, but I do hope that you plan to be here and hope that you'll continue if you haven't, if you already are or if you haven't already, be inviting others to come and be with us. I do remember that last January when we had the winter meeting, that was probably one of our most well-attended uh, meetings that we had uh, for the whole year as far as I can remember that. Uh, and so it just seems like uh, there's just a great opportunity. The weather looks like it's going to be favorable for us. I don't think they're calling for snow or anything like that. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that, and I hope that you are as well. Right now, though, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's talk about a little bit of Q&A tonight. I'm reading in 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says this in verse 9. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, Paul says, So whether we are at home or whether we are away, we make it our aim to please Him. I like the simplicity of that passage. Because that passage just simply says that our goal in life, this is what Paul says was his goal and his other preaching brethren who were accompanying him, that our goal as Christians is to please the Lord. Our goal is not to do what we want to do and then we try to find some way to justify it afterwards. No. And our goal, our aim is not to just go along with the ever-winding, ever-blowing ever winds of change, go along with the majority. Our goal is not to defend the status quo, no. This verse plainly says that as we live our lives, we want to live them in such a way that God is pleased. That guides everything that we do. Now, I think that verse and that understanding provides for us just a nice platform, a solid foundation for the question that is before us this evening on the subject of dancing. Now, I have probably been asked various questions about dancing about a, I don't know, half dozen, dozen different times in about a half dozen or a dozen different ways. I've jotted some of those down as I've been asked them. I'll share some of those with you. I've been asked, is dancing sinful? 
I was then asked, is all dancing sinful? I've been asked, is dancing ever appropriate? What about the prom? What about high school dances? What about ballet? Is dancing okay as a form of exercise? Where does it say in the Bible that dancing is wrong? Those are all the kinds of questions. And there's probably a whole bunch of other ones. I just can't remember that I fielded at various times about dancing. Most recently, this is the reason that it's appearing here this month, I was asked, what about dancing at a wedding? Like, for example, a father-daughter dance. Or maybe a mother-son dance. Or maybe a husband and a wife dancing together. What exactly is the biblical verdict on dancing? Well, as you can probably guess, just judging by those few questions that I've kind of volleyed out there already, there's really just a never-ending series of rabbit trails that we could go down in trying to answer each and every one of those specific questions. And one of the reasons, I'll just confess to you, one of the reasons that I have delayed in dealing with the subject of dancing is because my mind and my thoughts, every time I would sit down and try to put together a sermon on this, my mind and my thoughts would be going in a million different directions. I've got all these different questions and all these different directions, and I'd be over here, then I'd be over here, and then I'd be over here. And there's just some difficulty with trying to pack all of that together into something that is coherent, something that addresses every single thing that people ask about that, and then be able to do that in, you know, not 55 minutes or 60 minutes. On top of that, I have also had personally some reluctance that if I were to preach on dancing and to preach everything that I wanted to say about dancing, my fear is is that I would come across to many in this audience like this guy right here. Does anybody know who that is? If you're here and you're over the age of, I don't know, 35 or so, then you probably recognize that as the crusty old preacher from the 1980s movie Footloose. Footloose, for those who are uninitiated, is a movie about dancing. And this particular character, played by John Lithgow, he is the narrow-minded, kind of bigoted preacher who just rants and rails and raves on all the evils that are associated with dancing. And as he is depicted in that movie, he's just old-fashioned, he's just backward, and he's always trying to force his personal moral judgments on everybody else. And I'm telling you this evening, I don't want to be viewed like that guy. I do not want to be associated with what characters like that. And maybe there are real life preachers that are like that. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be seen as some out of touch preacher who is trying to press his personal moral judgments on everybody else. And what I say, well, that's the final word on everything. Instead, I simply this evening, I just want to present the few things that I am absolutely certain about when it comes to dancing. And then what I'm going to do after I present those just simple ideas, very few ideas, after I present those ideas, I'm going to just trust that you will then faithfully apply this standard, this principle that we've just read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. I'm trusting that you're going to then take those truths, take that information, and you're then going to make it your aim to please the Lord. Which means that this lesson tonight will be considerably shorter than I originally conceived it was going to be. And that really is intentional on my part. I thought about this and I prayed about this a lot. I am persuaded that you will probably be more inclined to consider what I'm going to have to say with few words rather than me presenting all that I have to say with many words. And so with that said, where is the Bible on dancing? Well, let's just start with this. 
I believe in the interest of fairness, and this is exactly where this needs to begin. I think we need to start by just conceding right up front that not all dancing is wrong. And the Bible's going to show us that. Look in Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 15, this is the description of the Israelite people after God had safely delivered them out of Egypt and destroyed Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Israel had been delivered safely through the Red Sea. And the after effects of that is told in Exodus chapter 15. This is verse number 20. In Exodus 15 and in verse 20 it says, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, also the sister of Moses, she took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. This is the dance of joy and jubilation. And in this context, dancing is seen as being good. As being proper, it's fitting of that occasion. This is a moment and a time for joy and for celebration to the Lord. And while I have never claimed in my life to ever be a dancer, I really don't even have any desire to dance or to be a dancer, I will confess to you that I have danced that dance of joy and jubilation. I remember specifically a couple years ago, on the afternoon when Hattie finally learned to be potty trained, There was much dancing and much jubilation. And we were so happy and we were jumping up and down and we were twirling all about. There was lots of joy and dancing on that day. I have danced the dance of joy. That is innocent and it is an outward expression of an inner joy. There's even some poetic imagery in the book of Psalms. I've included Psalm chapter 150 and verse 4 that places dancing there in the context of of celebrating God, praising God and praising Him for His goodness. And whether that's talking about literal dancing or whether that's being used in a figurative sense, we really can't deny, though, that the Bible does use that wording to describe joy being expressed to the Lord. So I cannot stand up here and say, and I will not stand up here and say, in some kind of sweeping generalization, that dancing just in general is wrong and it is bad. I can't do that. The Bible would contradict that statement. Which begs the question this evening. Why have we then heard for so long from our pulpits and from very hard-nosed brethren about this negativity associated with dancing? Why is there such a negative stigma associated with dancing amongst God's people? Why have some Christians been so condemning of dancing? Well, that's the second point that needs to be taken into consideration. And that is that while the Bible does not condemn all dancing... The Bible does have very specific and very clear condemnations of lust and lasciviousness and lewdness and all of the things that go along with that. And that is contained in numerous passages in Scripture. I just want to notice a couple. Would you look in Galatians 5? In Galatians chapter 5, as part of the works of the flesh. Now, this is set in contrast to what Paul later describes as being the fruit of the Spirit. We want to develop the fruit of the Spirit, but here's some stuff we don't want. We want to get this stuff out of our lives. Galatians 5, look at verse 19. Paul begins that list. Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. All of those words, all of those concepts have to do with lust, and wrongful sexual desires. Those are desires that the Bible says are out of place. They are out of bounds. Paul says that those things are the works of the flesh. 
And can we just be candid right now? Dancing. Lots of dancing. In fact, much of modern dancing. It is designed specifically to entice, to stir, and to provoke lustful, lascivious, and lewd desires. I can even show you that in the Bible. Would you look in Mark 6? In Mark the 6th chapter, this is a passage. Young ladies, would you please read this passage with me? I think this is a passage that it ought to give every young lady pause before they decide to ever go trotting out on the dance floor ever again. In Mark chapter 6, we are told here about Herod's confrontation with John the Baptist. John, of course, had told Herod that, Hey, buddy, you ain't got any business being married to your brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. That then, of course, didn't set well with Herodias. And it provokes her to take some drastic and extreme measures. She actually decides to use her daughter almost as a pawn to try to get what she wants out of her husband. And so we're told in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 21, Mark 6 verse 21, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. You don't need me to stand up here and give some kind of a description or an elaboration on what that means when it says that her dancing pleased Herod and those other men sitting with him. It prompted wrongful desires in those men. Desires that should not be there. Desires that were out of place, that were out of bounds. And I'm saying to you this evening that if you do not understand how much of what passes for dancing today how it provokes lust, how it provokes lasciviousness, how it provokes sexual desires, then you are either A, incredibly naive, or B, you're just lying. If some activity is going to cause lust, if it's going to cause wrong sexual desires in myself or in another person, then the Bible would explicitly tell us that Christians want no part of that. In fact, young people, would you look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, if there's ever a question in our minds that, well, I don't know, this looks maybe like it's kind of iffy. You know, could I go? Should I go? Could I maybe get away with going? You know, can I be involved? Can I just flirt a little bit with the line? Well, Paul clears that question up for us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, look in verse 22. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, he says, So flee youthful passions. Flee! Run away! Get out! I do not know what all goes on at high school dances these days or at the prom these days. Maybe someone will come to me after services and tell me, well, Josh, it's just the most, just the most pleasant experience. You know, kids just doing the hokey pokey and drinking fruit punch and it's just the most innocent thing that you ever saw. But I will say to you this evening, That if the activities that do go on in those environments, if they are enticing and inciting youthful passions, youthful lust, Paul says explicitly, get out of there. That ought to settle that question for us. And maybe right here is a really great place for me to say that yes, I am fully aware that there is not a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not dance. But you know what? I am also aware that there is not a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not look at pornography. But you know what? The same things that make pornography wrong, it creates lust, lasciviousness, lewdness, wrongful sexual desires. 
Those are the very same things that can make dancing wrong. It can cause those wrong desires. Now, if you were to leave here this evening, and you were to just take what I've said thus far, and you were to just kind of quote me verbatim to your friends or to other people, somebody's going to say, oh, don't listen to that stuffy old preacher. He's on the cusp of turning 40 years old. What a fuddy-duddy. He don't know nothing about anything these days. He's just so prudish. He's just so backward and so old-fashioned. Don't you know, dancing is just good, clean fun. It's just a good, wholesome activity. In fact, I have had conversations with Christians. I've had conversations with Christians who were just absolutely determined to make it sound like dancing is the most wholesome activity this side of going to church. I mean, come on, how dare anybody say that any kind of dancing could ever cause any kind of lust? Well, it is true that some preachers are stuffy and old-fashioned and prudish. But I will tell you right now what the world says about dancing. Do I need to preach to you what the preacher says about this? Can I preach to you what the world says about dancing? Here's the lyrics to a country song by Patsy Cline. The lyrics to that song say this, I was waltzing with my darling to the Tennessee waltz. When an old friend I happened to see, I introduced her to my loved one, and while they were dancing, my friend stole my sweetheart from me. What's that song about? What's going on in that song? Something happened out there on the dance floor when that man held that woman, and that woman was being held by that man, and they were swaying closely and slowly to the music, and it caused attraction. It caused sexual desire. Now, if Patsy Cline is too old and stuffy and old-fashioned for you, well, how about Save the Last Dance for Me? That song was recently recorded by Michael Bublé, and the lyrics to that song say this. You can dance. This is him saying this to his girl. You can dance every dance with the guy who gives you the eye. Let him hold you tight. You can smile every smile for the man who holds your hand neath the pale moonlight. But don't you forget who's taking you home and whose arms you're going to be. So darling, you save that last dance for me. What's that song about? That song is about a guy who is worried that his girl is going to be dancing with some other men out on the dance floor. And in the process of that, she's going to develop desires. She's going to develop an attraction for that man or those men. And she's going to end up leaving him behind. The next verse of that song goes on to say this, Oh, I know the music's fine, like sparkling wine. Go and have your fun, laugh and sing. But while we're apart, don't give your heart to anyone. How about that? Seems like the world knows some things about what goes on in a lot of dancing. Why is it that sometimes we as God's people seem to be the last ones to get that? Why are we so aloof about that? I checked the Arthur Murray uh, Dance School's website. And they had an article on their website on why you should sign up and take dance classes with them. It said, and I quote, "...because dancing kindles romance." It went on to say that if you'll take these classes, you will get to hold your partner close and you'll get to touch and caress one another as you go through these steps. Now again, that's what the world says about dancing. I don't think anybody ever accused Arthur Murray of being a stuffy old preacher. Here's a quote from George Bernard Shaw. I kind of get a kick out of this one. He said, dancing is the vertical expression of a horizontal desire. 
Now that makes pretty clear what dancing is in the mind of many people today, that it's about sexual desire, that it's about attraction, and it is about fulfilling lust. I wonder sometimes, why is it that Christians are so slow to pick that up and to see that? Now, all of that then is to say that once we understand why and where the Bible says that dancing can be wrong, then I think we can then begin to understand when and where dancing could be appropriate and when and where it's going to be inappropriate. So somebody asked the question about at the wedding, the father-daughter dance. Well, there's no lust going on there. It's not about sexual desire. That wouldn't be wrong. That would be okay. Somebody would ask, well, what about a husband and a wife dancing together? Well, certainly there would be some desire there. But you know what? In marriage, in the husband and wife relationship, that desire, it is right. It is proper. It is a fitting in that. The marriage bed is undefiled, Hebrews 13 verse 4 says. So a husband and a wife, they can dance. And they can hug and they can kiss and they can flirt and they can hold hands. They can do all of that. That's appropriate within the confines and with the boundaries of marriage. But outside of that, I don't want to be involved in something that's going to create wrongful sexual desires in myself or in someone else. You see, lust here is really the kind of the end-all, be-all issue many times when it comes to these questions about dance. I've been asked specific questions about specific kinds of dancing. What about what about this particular dance? Or what about that dance? And half the times when I'm told the names of these dances, I don't even know what they are. I have to look them up to see what they are. But the truth is... When you get this point about the lust thing, you can kind of answer your own question. Is this kind of movement and gyration of the human body, is it going to create lust in myself or in another person? And if the answer to that is yes, then don't do it. You don't need to be involved in that. That's sinful. That is wrong. Now, I suspect there maybe going to be some folks here this evening who you've heard some things and you've, hopefully you've listened very attentively and you've given these things proper consideration and proper weight. And you're going to leave here this evening and you're going to completely dismiss everything that I just said. You may be setting your ways about this and you're just going to keep on doing what you've always done because that's just the way that you've always done it. And that's between you and the Lord. I'm not here. I didn't expect to necessarily convince or to sway anybody any particular way this evening. What I would hope is that at the very least that maybe some of the things that we've talked about this evening, as few as they may be, I would hope that maybe it would just prompt maybe just some discussion between some moms and some dads and their kids on the car ride home, sitting around the table, and to discuss these things and make those things a part of our future decisions of the kinds of activities that we're going to be involved in. At the end of the day, though, I'm going to just come right back to 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse 9. We're going to make it our aim to please the Lord. When that is governing all of our decisions, then that means I am going to take seriously the warnings that Scripture does summon me to think about. And I'm going to take that into consideration so that I can act accordingly and please the Lord. And that seems like a very fitting place then to extend the invitation of the Lord because that's what the invitation is about. It's about an opportunity for you to please the Lord. If you are outside of Christ, if you have never become a child of God through your obedience to the gospel, 
This is a wonderful opportunity for you to take decisive action, to take decisive steps to become a Christian. And in so doing, have your sins washed away, have the Lord add you to His body, and yes, you will get to please the Lord. I am convinced that nothing makes God happier than to see a sinner come to Him and to become one of His children. Can we help you this evening to be buried with Christ in baptism? Brother or sister, can we help you to serve the Lord in a better way, to repent and to put sin out of your life? Maybe to just pray with you and to lift up your hands and to help you in whatever way that we can? Whatever your need may be, let's all leave here this evening with the expectation and the desire to please the Lord in all that we do. If we can help you in some way, do something about that right now while we stand and while we sing.